Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today, Christmas at DCC begins, and so let's go ahead and start getting our minds focused in that direction as we start celebrating the birth of Christ. Amen? I mean, who, who is not familiar with the well-known Christmas poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." I mean, everybody has probably heard a variation, at least, of that poem. And, and, and let me share it with you for those of you that, that don't remember. I'm just going to give you a small little snippet from it. But, but here's how it goes. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. You know, this poem was first published in New York's Troy Sentinel newspaper on December the 23rd, 1823, two days before Christmas. There, there was no authorship attached to it. There were no names associated with it. The poem was just in there. And it wasn't until 13 years later that Clement Clark Moore, professor and a poet, stepped forward to claim, to claim authorship and said that his housekeeper His housekeeper had, without his knowledge, sent the piece that he wrote for his kids that he would share with his kids. She sent it to the newspaper without him knowing about it. In 1844, the poem was officially included in an anthology of Moore's work. But there was a problem. You see, there's a discrepancy in history with this because the family of Henry Livingston Jr. claimed that their father had been reciting the same poem for 15 years before it was published in the newspaper. And we may never know who actually wrote "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." The night before Christmas has been, was then, and still is very controversial, but we'll talk about that more in a few moments. As I think back on Christmas Eves of my past, I realized that when I was younger, life was drastically different the night before Christmas than it was on Christmas Day. And some of you will relate to me as I begin to share with you some of these experiences. You'll realize your life too as a child was drastically different the night before Christmas than it was on Christmas Day. See, when I was five years old, I wanted a dog. Mom and dad had never let me have a dog. And I wanted a dog. I asked Santa for a dog. And, and what happened is my mom told my, my, my dad, said, go find him a dog. On Christmas Eve, go find him a dog. And so dad went out and found me a dog. And, and I did not own a dog on Christmas Eve, but on Christmas Day, now I owned a dog. And, and mom was very upset with dad because dad didn't go and get a puppy like she asked for. Mom went and got a full-size black lab. But man, Chief was a great dog. Chief was fantastic. And Chief would jump up on me as a little five-year-old and just knock me straight down and then just lick me on my face. It was, you know, storybook. It was a great dog to have. But you can see how life was drastically different for this little five-year-old from one day to the next. Christmas Eve, I did not own a dog. Christmas Day, I had my first dog. Christmas at seven years old, I wanted a racetrack really bad. That's all I wanted for Christmas. I just wanted a racetrack. And on Christmas morning, after opening all of my gifts from my brothers, my parents, my grandparents, and even from Santa, I had four racetrack sets that I received for Christmas. 
Life was drastically different because now I went from having no race car sets to now I had two set up in the den, two set up in the living room, and the whole family is gathered around those race car sets, and we're racing each other, and we're having tournaments to see who's going to get on the main track and all that kind of stuff. It was, it, life was drastically different. Life changed for me as a seven-year-old at that moment. When I was about nine years old, the night before Christmas, I had a Star Wars collection that consisted of only action figures. That's all I had. Anybody remember the little action figures? Maybe some of your kids still buy action figures. I love Sam that shows up during the first service, sits over here every week. Sam rolls by me in his wheelchair, and Sam shows me a different action figure every week. And sure enough, today he had Spider-Man with him. And uh, sometimes he tries to stump me a little bit with it and brings uh, some characters that I don't know, some action figures. I don't have a clue who they are. But today I knew. Today it was Spider-Man. But man, that, I had this collection at nine years old of Star Wars action figures. But that's it. I only had the action figures. I didn't have any of the other things, the, the higher priced items. And so Santa came, and on Christmas morning, life changed for me drastically because Santa brought me the Millennium Falcon and the Death Star. So now life was different for me. Now I had this big spaceship that I could put some, some action figures in and I could fly it around the living room and I had the Death Star with the trash compactor in the bottom where you know everybody gets squished and all that. I'm really showing my Star Wars geek side right now, but that's all right. Needless to say, life was different for me as that little nine-year-old on Christmas Day than it was the night before. But as we get older, Christmas Day is not so much different than the day before Christmas. Have you noticed that, the older that we get? Yeah, Christmas Day comes around, and most of us, we get to eat a big meal with some family. But then life just goes right back to normal again. Life goes right back to the mundane. Life goes right back to the way it was. And so life doesn't change too much the older you get from Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. From the night before Christmas to Christmas Day, it just doesn't change that much. We, we, we wonder what happens, what clouds our minds, what prohibits us from experiencing a life change every Christmas because we lose the wonder of it all. You know, we lose that. We lose the awe of the birth of Christ. I mean, think about it. Some of us in the room, we are seasoned Christians. But yet we will allow some of life's circumstances to so easily distract us to where we don't realize that Emmanuel happened. God with us happened. You can't change that fact, but yet with our emotions sometimes and even with our actions sometimes, we act as though God never came, that, that Jesus was never born. And as a believer, we've got to understand that that changed everything, that the night before that first Christmas, it looked a lot different than Christmas Day that year. Life changed for humanity. One of our family's favorite Christmas movies is The Polar Express. We watch it every year. Kendall and I, we absolutely love that movie. We will sing all of the songs from it. As a matter of fact, last year at the Christmas party right here on this stage, um, I, I got cheated out of a lip sync battle as I did hot chocolate right here on stage, complete with tap dancing and everything. Everybody that was there, you know I really won, but, but, um, but that's from the movie, man. And Kendall and I, we love singing that, you know, songs from the movie. We just, we love the Polar Express, watch it every year. But if you've ever seen the movie, a key element in that movie is that a child that believes in Santa can still hear the bells that ring on Santa's reindeer attached to his sleigh. 
That's the premise of the movie. That at the moment you stop hearing those bells ring, then you no longer believe in Santa. And as we get older, Christmas loses its wonder. Beyond Santa, we lose the epiphany that Jesus, God, became man. That he came to save us. That he left heaven, he left the throne to come down and to become like us to save us. And even as adults, we have the knowledge of Christ. But do we have the wonder of his presence active every day in our lives? And this Christmas at DCC, as we walk through this month, I want us to regain that wonder. I want us to, whether it's through a sermon, a kid's musical, a worship experience, a church Christmas party, I want us to regain the wonder of Christmas once again. And so today, this morning, I want us to look at the night before that first Christmas. If you will, let's, let's kind of dive back into the night before that first Christmas. Obviously, there's two key players that, that were there, and that's Mary and Joseph. And most of you in the room, you know the story of Mary and Joseph. And, and so I'm just going to highlight it just a little bit. But Mary was just a teenage girl, and, and she was visited by an angel. And the angel told her, you are going to have God's son. You know? And so you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility, especially for just a young teenage girl. And, and, and she had to know that her life was going to be full of criticism and scrutiny. She had to know that. But yet, she said, be it unto me. In other words, if this is your will for my life, Lord, let this happen in my life. And so she was willing to go through that process as just a teenage girl. Who was going to believe that she was still a virgin? That, that the child that she was carrying was conceived through the Holy Spirit of God? Who would believe that? You wouldn't believe it. If your teenage daughter came home and told you that she had this epiphany from God and that she was, you know, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't believe it. You would look at her like she's crazy, slap the devil out of her, and then figure out how to pick up the pieces. That's the way it would work. But Mary, Mary was willing to go through this. And then you have Joseph. Joseph is just a hard-working carpenter, excited about getting married to young Mary. When an angel visit, visits him and tells him what's going to happen, at first the Bible says that he wanted to privately put her away. In other words, he wanted to dismiss her out of his life, cancel the wedding plans, and just privately just, just try and be a, a good man, but, but nevertheless probably heartbroken. But through this conversation with the messenger of God, Joseph too says, I, I will take on this responsibility of raising God's son here on earth. He himself would face heavy scrutiny, criticism. But there's this, this other side of, of Christmas that we often forget. You see, the night before Jesus came, you have to remember that heaven was silent. Heaven wasn't speaking to humanity. As history was written, prophets came, men of God, with a word from heaven. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. These were men that were hearing from God. But then all of a sudden, it just stops in their silence. And the prophet Malachi closed off the sacred writings of the Old Testament. And then heaven was silent for 400 years. People still came to the temples. People still came to the synagogues. But, but there was no more revelation. A after all, man's failure to meet God's standard throughout the Old Testament 
maybe in their thought process, maybe they just thought that, that God had finally abandoned them because they couldn't get it right. And that's exactly right. Through our own human efforts, humanity couldn't get it right. We were trying, but we were constantly failing God because we were always going back against our word and our covenant to him. Can you imagine life with no revelation word? Can you imagine what that feels like? For those of you that sit under Bible teaching every week in in this church or another church, for those of you that sit under good Bible teaching every week, you know what it feels like to receive revelation from God's word. Can you imagine going through life for 400 years, generations, never hearing new revelation from God ever? And on the day before Jesus came, heaven was silent. On the day before Jesus came, on the day before that first Christmas, the Jews were looking for a Savior. As we travel back over 2,000 years, we find that at that time, the Roman Empire had amassed vast wealth and territory throughout what was the known civilized world at the moment. And the Jews, they were given very little room for independence, and they fell under the governorship of Herod the Great. On the night before Christmas, this was an oppressed people. But yet, 400 years after Malachi's final message, the Jews, some of them, just a small remnant, they were still hopeful with anticipation that the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, would come to deliver them from their oppression. There is a small group of Jews that they're still looking on the horizon, hoping that the Messiah is going to show up. And they believe the psalmist who so eloquently wrote in Psalm 2 and 7 that the Messiah would be the Son of God. They believe the writings of Moses in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 that the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, the father of the Jews. Additionally, they believe Jeremiah's prophecy that gave the Messiah royal lineage through King David. They believe the prophecy of Micah who stated that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, written hundreds of years earlier, but yet that's what he stated. They believed all of Isaiah's messianic prophecies, especially those proclaiming the Messiah as part of the new and the everlasting covenant. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, but then later in life he would be betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver, crucified between two thieves, and buried among the rich, which is exactly what happened in the life of Christ. But on the night before Jesus' birth, there was nothing to celebrate because none of that had come to pass. There was hopelessness mixed with the bondage of depression. They were a people in need and in hope of a Messiah. Times are so different now than when Mandy and I found out that she was pregnant with twins. It's so different. It's... Life has just changed so drastically for us. 18 years ago, we had to actually pick up a phone and call all of our friends and family members and tell them that we were expecting. We either had to pick up the phone or have a conversation face to face. Now we have social media posts that lets hundreds, if not thousands, of your closest friends all know at the same time that you're expecting. And you do these cute little hearts on your tummy and things like that, you know, to let the whole world know. There's this whole series of pictures that happens now to let the world know that you're expecting. When Mandy went into labor with Caleb and Kendall, we had a list of phone calls 
that we had to make. And so we got out our bag phone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Half the room just went, what's a bag phone? What's this bag phone you speak of, Pastor? We got out our ancient cell phones. And we had a list of people that we had to call and to tell we are now in labor. And don't you dare forget one of them because that's how family feuds start, you know. Make sure you include everybody on the list. And today, social media, it allows young couples to tell the world that they are now expecting birth announcements. At one time, they were printed in the newspaper. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember when they were printed in the newspaper? This is a much younger crowd than the early service. That's what happened. You used to print birth announcements in the newspaper, and now you see them out there on Facebook and on Twitter and social media everywhere. And even though God had the ability to announce his son's birth with royal fanfare around the world, all at one moment the whole world could have known, he chose to keep it private, and he only invited a few people to attend. And I want us to look at some of those people that he chose in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. What a great way to start off this Christmas season. Get to read about the birth of Jesus Christ right here at the beginning of December. Let's start reading at verse 8. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. For you to understand the irony of God using shepherds, you must first understand who shepherds really were. Not to mess up your manger scenes that you have sitting on your coffee tables or your mantles, or even the middle of your dining room table. But shepherds were probably not the most peaceful people that you think that they are. You see them there kneeling next to a donkey, worshiping Jesus. You see them there as men that were obeying the angels coming to worship Christ. They were very unlikely candidates because shepherds were often considered the hillbillies of the Middle East. And if you were born to a shepherd, you would most likely be a shepherd. Their vocation, it was passed on from generation to generation. 
Anybody in their right mind would not want to get involved with shepherds. After all, shepherds had that bad reputation. They weren't the sort of people that you would want to associate with. You certainly wouldn't invite them over to dinner at your house. You wouldn't use them to proclaim anything, let alone the birth of Jesus Christ, God's only son. Shepherds were simply considered lowlife. Their line of work prevented them from participating in the feast and the holy days that made up the Jewish religious calendar. When everyone else went to church, they couldn't go to church. They had to stay out in the fields. They had to watch the sheep. They couldn't be a part of God's flock because of their own flock that they had to watch. So shepherds were unchurched people. You've been around unchurched people before that don't know how to act in church. That's how these people were. When everyone else was making the trip to Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the temple or to participate in one of the annual feasts, shepherds had to be out in the fields watching over their sheep. Shepherds were looked on with suspicion. They were constantly on the move. They couldn't stay in one place very long because they would get caught. Everyone always looked at them with suspicion because they had this quality of confusing thine with mine. They were professional thieves at times. Nobody wanted to leave anything just laying around. They were renowned for thieving. If, if it wasn't bolted down, if it wasn't strapped down, and the shepherds came to town, you would lose it. And even if they didn't take it, they would be accused of taking it because it was always those shepherds again. It, you could not trust the word of a shepherd. The Talmud, which is a record of rabbinic discussions and, and literature pertaining to Jewish law, ethics, customs, and history, it, it had some things to say about the shepherds. The Talmud said that shepherds were prone to be economical with the truth. In other words, they knew how to lie. They knew how to stretch the truth. And so they were not even allowed to act as witnesses in a court of law because their word was not considered trustworthy at all. The Talmud stated, no help should be given to heathen and shepherds. They were lumped together with the heathen. Shepherds were uneducated men. They were with sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's hard to be educated when you are with sheep all the time. Take it from someone who knows. That didn't go over in first service either. <laughs> Think about it. When you're always hanging out with sheep, you're not going to be very educated. They watched while the sheep grazed. They had to keep an eye out for predators. And at night, they actually slept with the sheep in the sheep pen to guard against theft and animal attack. So most of the shepherds were illiterate, unrefined, and people in the cities would look down on the shepherding life. Shepherds had a lowly position in society. They were on the borderline of being social outcasts. And the only reason that anyone associated with shepherds at all is because they needed sheep meat to eat and they needed wool. And so you couldn't completely cast them out. You couldn't completely disassociate with them because, because you had to use them to get food and to get wool for blankets and clothing and things like that. And when God decided to make the birth announcement of his son, he chose to tell the shepherds 
before anyone else. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, does it? Because out of everything that I just told you about those shepherds, the one thing that you would not expect is that God would, for a moment in history, take them, place them on a pedestal, and say, I am going to show you first that my son has arrived. I am going to make this birth announcement to you before anybody else. And the angelic host came to the shepherds. They didn't come to royalty. They showed up on a hillside. Heaven's heaven's messengers lit up the countryside, not the palace. And even though they were discriminated against, God chose to include shepherds in the most important announcement that humanity would ever receive. God looked down on low-life shepherds and said, I value you. You matter to me. And when it comes to the story of my son's birth, I want to include you because you're going to be in every manger scene from here on out. You're going to be popular. You're going to make history. And I'm choosing you to do it. Even though you have a reputation, I want you to be a part of this. You know, often we have a hard time seeing the value that God sees in us. You ever notice that? That's the one thing that most of us in the room can relate to. We, we don't understand. God, what do you see in me? There's very few people these days that have that serious pride issue that, that you don't understand, that you have messed up in life. And most of us in the room, we, we feel it. We know that we don't deserve God's grace in our lives. And we're like, why God, why would you use us? And we, we fail to see what God sees in us. God, why would you value me? Why would you include me in your plan? And we don't see what God sees in low life shepherds. But the last time I checked, leg of lamb is still pretty expensive, isn't it? The inclusion of the shepherds is that first Christmas, the the inclusion of the shepherds in that first Christmas basically sums up the entire ministry of Christ, is that he came for the broken and the marginalized, the misfits and the outcasts of society. He came to them. As a matter of fact, most of us in the room would not relate to the ministry of Christ because we don't fit in those categories all the time. And over 2,000 years later, the night before Christmas appears just as hopeless to some as the night before that first Christmas. You walk into this Christmas season and you're not expecting a life change at all. Just as shepherds on a hillside did not expect a life change. But can you imagine the wonder and the awe once they saw the angelic host proclaiming the birth of Christ? The moment that they went to a stable and they knelt down and they had the promise that that was the Messiah that that baby laying there in a barn that's the hope of humanity that's the one who's coming to save us but they knew it was him because the heavens told them so maybe you feel like a loser Maybe you feel like you're unworthy to be used. Let me promise you this. God always uses what others reject. Luke would come to realize that the prophecy of Psalm 118 and verse 22 allowed the Messiah to relate to those who have been rejected in life. 
And we watch it fulfilled in the writings of Luke in chapter 20, verse 17, when you realize that Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. He himself experienced rejection to relate to humanity that has often been rejected by others. And that night that the shepherds realized that the Messiah had come, the Messiah had been born, and that God wanted to use them of all people God wanted to use them to spread the word and they went out and they began telling everyone that night it changed their lives forever that night before the first Christmas the shepherds stared into the eyes of rejection the next night they stared into the eyes of grace the night before that first Christmas Joseph stared into the eyes of uncertainty The next night, he stared into the eyes of the Lord. That night before that first Christmas, Mary stared into the eyes of criticism. But that night, she stared into the eyes of God. It changes. Your life can change from one day to the next, and all it takes is the birth of a blessing to give you your breakthrough. That's it. And it's that simple. It's that easy. And to realize that Emmanuel, God with us, he came. It's happened. And our lives should never be the same again. Every circumstance we face, we should never look at it the same again. If you feel down and out, if you feel like you've been shunned, if you feel like you've been hurt, betrayed, If you feel like there's no possible way that God can use you, just remember, he used his shepherds. He used them. They didn't deserve to be used, but he used them anyway. And he'll use you too. You are not too far gone. God will use you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.